On Your Sleeve, episode 17, a podcast about art, design and music. Just like buses, there's nothing for ages and then two come along really close together. Thank you to everyone who left comments for me on the last episode about the Eurovision Song Contest. I appreciate it was a little bit outside of the usual remit for this podcast, but I enjoyed doing it and the feedback was really positive, so I'm glad I did. As usual, I'd encourage anyone who wants to leave feedback to join the Facebook group, which you can find as Art On Your Sleeve podcast on Facebook. The group is gradually growing and it's an interesting place to talk about these subjects. So what is episode 17 all about? In this episode, I go back to an article I wrote for Classic Pop magazine in March 2019, which was my 34th feature for the magazine. In the article and in this podcast, I speak with Bill Smith, who is the creative director at Bill Smith Studio and is responsible for the design of hundreds of record sleeves. I'd be surprised if several of his designs weren't in your collection. I won't go into too much detail here because he has a book coming out, which I highly recommend that you uh, get hold of a copy of. And I'm going to read from the back cover of it just as an introduction to this podcast and also to the book. Bill Smith and his studio have been designing record covers since 1976. In those five decades, they've worked with over 200 bands and artists, creating hundreds of album covers, singles bags and CD covers. Bill Smith Studio worked with some of the world's best photographers, illustrators and painters on covers for, among others, The Jam, The Cure, Kate Bush, Led Zeppelin, The Rolling Stones, King Crimson and Mike Oldfield. We cover some of these artists in the podcast, but obviously because of time limits, we didn't even really scratch the surface. But I hope you enjoy the episode and it was a great privilege to speak to Bill. As usual, everything we talk about, including links to Bill's book, can be found in the show notes on my website at softoctopus.co.uk. Over to the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. It's good to have you on Art on Your Sleeve. Thanks. It's nice to be here. So we're here at a time just as your book is about to be published, looking back at four, four, more than 40 years worth of uh, record sleeve design. It's, it's actually five decades. Um, <laughs> Start, I know, exactly. Starting in 1976 when I joined Polydor Records um, and obviously going right the way up to 2019 when um, the last sleeve um, or the last sort of box I did for Richard Barbieri is the last, um, is the last sort of story, uh, main story in, in the book. So it's 1976 to 2019. I nearly, wow. put, if it had been 2020, it would have been six decades, which sounded far too long <laughs> to me anyway. So going right back to the start, 1976, you were, you were at, you went and did a, a foundation at Maidstone College of Art, didn't you? And then it all started when you moved to Polydor Records as, as art director. Is that right? That's right. I mean, I, I, um, I, I was at uh, I was at college in Maidstone. Uh, Maidstone. I did my foundation course there in 1970. Right. And then I went to what was then called the London College of Printing, which I think now is part of the University Arts of London. Um, the Elephant and Car at the Elephant and Castle. Right. And I did two years of a of a three year degree course and left in the second year. Um, to go and work for a, a small sort of marketing and design agency up in North London, 
um, because I thought I was going to get more out of actually working um, as a designer rather than just learning to be a designer. Not uh -huh. that I thought I'd ever manage to, you know, crack it, if you, if you see what I mean. I just thought I was going to learn more from being, I suppose, in the real world as opposed to... Um, you know, being being at a college. Yes, I guess when 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 we were art students, we we were never really told that a career in the music industry was a, a viable um, option. Really, there's not many people who've managed to make as much of a success of it as as you have. Really. Well, I I sort of you know, as I say in the book at the, at the beginning of the book, I I sort of discovered I discovered records and well more more importantly uh, record sleeves. I sort of discovered around about the age of 15. And from there, then on, that was my sort of eureka moment. And from there on in, my whole, um, you know, my whole sort of travel was towards being a sleeve designer. I don't think, I was just talking to someone the other day and I, I said, I don't believe anybody wakes up one morning and goes, I know I'll be a sleeve designer and then start to work out how to become a sleeve designer. So um, I was very lucky that, Obviously, the the record sleeve was coming, was becoming very much an important part of the whole music scene um, when I sort of discovered it. And you ended up working in the music industry at the height of the punk movement as well, 76, 77. So what was that like? Because that well, was very... I, I, I started as an art director in, in 1976 um, at Polydor. And obviously, Polydor was one of the big, you know, one of the bigger record labels it was owned by a german company um they had some 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 major acts the who um and a lot of jazz um stuff you know ella fitzgerald and count basie also people like um rory gallagher um peggy lee and so i was working on you know on a completely um, amazing assortment of of record sleeves for that first year or so of um, of 1976, and then obviously with the punk explosion, um, there the, there was a sort of a little a period when um, you know managers of various punk bands like the Clash, the Sex Pistols, um, kept were going around all the various different record companies trying to to get them to sign you know their particular acts. Yeah, and so. Um, we were visited. Uh, I was visited in the in the art department um, by Bernie Rhodes, uh, Malcolm McLaren, um, <laughs> checking out checking out the sort of people that might be doing the work in in terms of the design and artwork for their particular bands, and whether or not they didn't like the the, the, the cut of my jib, so to speak, um, they they all moved to somewhere else, and so it was sort of. It was in a, in a way it was quite fortunate that um, Chris Parry, who was one of the A and R directors uh, at Polydor, uh, managed to sign the Jam, and so they were my first my first punk and um, my first punk band, well, stroke stroke new wave band. What a great um, introduction as well to be working with with the Jam and then also with the Cure because Chris Parry was the link there as well, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, obviously, I, I consider the Jam to probably be my first proper record um, record sleeve, um, and then um, 
you know, I, I, the, the Cure were my sort of second proper record sleeve. Obviously, the Jam, I did. I was I was lucky enough to work with them for most of their very short career, mm. um, but ended up doing five album covers and I don't know, 16 or 17 different single bags, and obviously all the promotional material, advertising, uh, uh, posters um, for for one band, which. You know, very, very lucky to have been able to do that with a band right from the very beginning. So, you know, I've worked with a lot of, obviously, a lot of different bands, but none really from the very starting point. And of course, the the, the logo, well, what would become the logo for the jam, that sort of famous spray painted um, lettering is your handiwork, isn't it? I had an idea of when I first saw the band live at, um, uh, at the Greyhound Pub in, in Fulham, you know, um, when Chris Parry signed them, he said, go and see the band live and see what you think. And when I saw, you know, I'd previously seen The Clash, I'd seen The Sex Pistols, I'd seen The Damned. And when I first saw, when I first saw the jam, you know, they were, they were different. They were, um, the, you know, they they wrote really, really good songs. Yeah. They played them really, really well, and they looked pretty amazing. Mm. You know, I, I you know I think they were you know they were on the as we know they were on the cusp of of punk, but I think they were they were probably the new wave, um, and you know a new way of sort of I, I, I suppose a new way of playing that was sort of had the aggressiveness and the um, intensity of punk but in a in, i suppose in a more musical way yes yeah and so my, the the idea for the cover almost came from the first time i saw them and then um, at, at polydor at that time we had a, a demo studio upstairs in um, in, in the building uh, and when the jam were coming in and, and doing demos and that sort of thing for the first album, I was really lucky to obviously I was able to go up and sit in and you know listen in the in in the control room and that sort of thing and talk to the guys. Um, and so I I got very close to them, and I thought I think I had an understanding in my head about what they were trying to what Paul was trying to do with the band, and the sort of direction he wanted to go. So the the album cover itself came came into my mind fairly early on, and I think even at the time I was thinking about the 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 image, I had an idea that I was going to spray the logo. <laughs> I I didn't know what I was going to do, how I was going to do it, or what, but I think it was there in the back of my head in, in a sort of you know a, a, a sort of light bulb moment, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So it's... when we came to the idea of the the cover. Um, my, my feeling, the story, the sort of the backstory, if you like, was the band had been chased by either a rival band or a rival band, uh, uh, a rival bunch of fans into an into an underground toilet, <laughs> and were, while they were while they sort of locked themselves into the underground toilet, they waited until the the fans dispersed. Um, they sprayed their logo, so you know, you know, I I was we was here. Um, before they left. And um, so I wanted a tiled background um, with them. So it was sort of quite graphic, but I wanted it to be black and white, which was very unusual at the time. You know, everything was full color. Everybody was doing picture sleeves and color sleeves. And I wanted a very sort of graphic 
uh, black and white image that almost as if I'd sort of cut it. It was a cutting from, uh, you know, from a newspaper. Yeah. So the, so the tiled background was immediately gave me a lovely sort of graph paper um, as, as a background, which again was sort of very graphic. Mm. And then we, myself and the photographer, Martin Goddard, actually did the tiling ourselves, you know. <laughs> um, and um, so we, 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 we spent the morning tiling the, uh, the couple of backdrops. Um, the band came in, um, sat down in front of the, the tiled backdrop, and um, Martin did a couple of Polaroids, sorted out the lighting, etc. The band stood away and had sat, sort of sat and had a cup of tea, and then I said, right, I've got to go and do the logo now. So I literally just went up to the, um, to, to the tiles with a, a can of spray paint and did that logo. <laughs> I, I, how it came out like that, I'm not quite sure. Um, but because I didn't really have much in my head. I mean, luckily, it was a very, you know, two very, very short words, thank goodness. It wasn't, you know, splodginess abounds or something yeah. like that. So orchestral or maneuvers <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> yeah. So it was um it was quite an easy, it was quite an easy logo to sort of, you know, to make, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and I um a one-off, luckily it came out okay. Uh, I liked the idea that the tiles weren't grouted, so that again you saw the black lines mm. and also the logo, you know, the sort of black spray paint sort of disappeared into some of those lines, which made it even more graphic. So it, I'm very, ha very happy that I could then. I stood away, the band stood in, Martin shot three rolls of film, and then um, some 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 solo shots, and then I said to Martin. Now what I want is the band have left the toilet um, and either a, a rival band has come in and, and decided to smash up the logo. So then I just took a hammer to the tiled wall and the logo uh, and that, that, gave it, the, the, that gave it its punk element. So it was sort yes. of trying to, trying to make that sort of link between the aggressiveness of, of, the, of punk and, and new wave. It's funny, isn't it? Because now with, with computers, that would all just be layered up, wouldn't it? You'd have your stock image of your tiles and then you'd have your logo and you'd have your band and you'd just, you know, layer it all up in Photoshop. But there's a certain authenticity to actually doing it for real, you know, in a real situation like that. And when I was reading the book, um, you did the sleeve for sheep farming in Barnet with Toya as well. And she talks about that, that that thing about actually being on location and it adding a sort of energy and re realism to the situation. Because didn't you go and film, uh, shoot those images on a military base for Toya? Yeah, we went, um, we went up to uh, Filingdales, which was uh, an early warning um, system centre uh, up, up in Yorkshire. And um, I, I, again, the, 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 time, the times that we were doing it were, you know, you just did these things. You came up with an, I came up with the idea. I thought I'd seen a picture of those lovely globes. Hmm. And I thought that would make a fantastic backdrop. I don't know whether we can even get anywhere close to it or whatever. So myself, Andrew Douglas, who was the photographer, Toya, and uh, her, her boyfriend at the time, a guy called Jeb, 
jumped in my car. <laughs> we drove up to Yorkshire. We got close as we possibly could to the um, perimeter fence. Found a found the, you know, the the shape that I wanted and 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 Andrew wanted. Stuck Toya, you know, um, as close to the fence as we possibly could, and 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 shot as quickly as we could before the jeeps came over the horizon, and um, you know we were, we were going to be chased away by the by the security, uh, and lit, we had to quickly jump in the car and drive off, and um, get to a sort of a, a layby uh, on the motorway and gather ourselves, make sure we'd got everything that we wanted. Um, Toya actually did have the, um, the the rolls of film down her underwear. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't, yes, it would be much, much easier to these days to get a, get a shot of Filing Dales, mm. do a studio shot of, um, of Toya and strip the whole thing together. But it wouldn't have the same story. It wouldn't have no. the same. In, uh, I think they would. There would. You know. I always can. It's, it's, I can always see if something's been stripped together. It's probably just you know having done it for so long. Yeah. And we. Were, I was very very lucky at the time between you know the eighties and nineties into even to the mid nineties when obviously computers had really taken off. Mm. We everything was done by hand. Everything, you know, artworks were, were on pieces of card that were, you know, um, 24 inches or 30 inches wide by 15 inches high and with various sheets of overlays with some type on it, with a picture on it, which you then sent to a, a repro house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the that's the beauty of the hands-on I think is is completely lost now of course so just just to finish off on the toy sleeve is that um the, the logo for toy there it's it's a similar sort of graffiti style logo to the jam is that your work as well or is that no that actually that was toya's work ah. and um and and toya toya is you know again a very very visual artist even 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 now you know she she's very clever with with her own imagery um the photographers she used the makeup artists uh, and she's always done that so when i was working and i worked with toya a lot i think i did in the end about six or seven sleeves for her yes over yeah. her over the course of um the 20 odd years or so um and there's quite a few of those in the book and we were always we're always discovering things together she would say i've got this idea how can we make it work um, and that's again, that's a that's a really nice way of working. So, so the the first sleeve was was pretty much my idea, but from there on in, we very much sort of worked together on, you know, this is the title, this is a sort of few thoughts I've got, and you know, that's a that's a great. It's a, again in in the book, I, I very much want to, you know, it's about collaboration and and the collaborators in that I've worked with are just as important to me as the artists I've worked with and, and the bands. Yes. Because when you when you come up with ideas together, it's, it's it's a wonderful feeling if they were 
right, you know, and and you you get something brilliant out of it. Reading the book, the um, the the cover for the Cure album, Three Imaginary Boys, that was all your imagination, though, wasn't it? That wasn't that didn't come from Robert Smith and the band itself. That was no. your, your visualization. Even even though we, we we share the same surname, I think Robert and I were, were poles apart and miles apart with, re, with with regard to the way the way I saw them and the way they saw themselves. He knew what he wanted, but he couldn't express it. So I had to I had to take what I could from meeting with them and listening to listening to the music um, and uh, I, the idea again the idea of the um, the, the three domestic appliances was from from the fact that they they were slightly suburban. They were um, I, again. I just got this idea to it, for some reason a, the, an ideal home from 1965, um, an ideal home magazine from 1965 would have done a, a picture of the latest domestic appliances and. For some reason, that idea came into my head when I was talking to talking to them and and, and um, listening to some of the music, and the the fact that I didn't really get any idea. Robert didn't want. They said that we don't want we don't want ourselves on the cover. So that then that made it a completely blank canvas, and I could come up with any idea I wanted to. So I came up with the idea of the, the three domestic appliances. And then obviously worked the whole of the rest of the cover around it. Again, slightly from the slightly non-verbal situation I had with Robert, I made, I decided not to have any typography on the cover apart from the obviously the, 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 the title and the band's logo because all the other things are on there are just pure images or icons. So the back cover is actually the, the title sequence but obviously as images yes. and even on the even on the labels of the of the record that the, the, they're just numbers and then little tiny icons of those images um and then i took a an idea of in an inside out so the, the we've got a house on the inside sleeve um where the domestic appliances would have been but they were on the outside so they became the stars so the <laughs> The band and the the domestic appliances were the stars. <laughs> it's, it's quite complicated, but it sort of it, it made sense to me at the time. But of course, Robert Robert has has quite blatantly said he hated it, which is fair <laughs> enough. So that's cool. And he had written into his next contract with um, Chris Parry and Fiction Records that he had that he had to have final say and final approval of any artworks. Part of the idea from the, the, the for that sleeve came from looking at pop artists like Richard Hamilton, yeah. who who montaged together, um, you know, various different elements and um, used them in in his paintings. Uh, also, sort of people, you know, artists like Jeff Koons, who mm-hmm. did installation art, and, and he did a whole set. I mean, slightly later, so maybe I you know, preempted it. I don't know. But he did a whole installation of Hoovers in, like, as as proper pieces. Um, <laughs> so they were in they were in um, perspex boxes, 
and um, I, he so I, I heavily influenced by that, and and even to the point where with Tubular Bells Three, which I did for Mike Oldfield, um, again I saw that as an installation piece, and and we did a we did a not we obviously shot um, the bell again, but also I, I put it in place as as part of an art exhibition, and and photograph that as for the rest of the uh, the rest of the packaging. Mm. So it's sort of. Uh, my influences are, are are heavily are heavily influenced by art. Well, going back to the very the very start of the eighties when you when you were working with with Genesis, you you worked directly with the um, artist slash illustrator Lionel is it Coachlin? Coachlin? Lionel Coachlin, yes. Coachlin, uh, yeah, uh, for Duke. I started working, um, I was asked to go and, uh, and meet um, the three guys from Genesis um, after, after the release of Then There Were Three. Um, they were doing a new, a new album and they wanted, Charisma wanted to find a new designer to work with them. Um, I went to um, Guildford to, I think Mike Rutherford's house and they had a recording studio in his back garden. They weren't really thinking about the, um, the actual sort of sleeves themselves. So they didn't really give me any, any ideas. And also when they're writing and recording, they don't normally title anything. So they just have a bunch of words that are a song or a bunch of, um, you know, uh, chords that are gonna make something up. So when I, when I saw them for the first time, they said, um, we don't really know what we want. Um, can you find some illustrations? Can we can can we have a look at some illustrations? And I said, have you got any idea of a sort of title or anything? And and I think Phil said, we've got one song which we've called which we're going to call Duke. And so that so I thought right, okay, well I'll try and keep that in the back of my mind while I go and look for some different sort of um, illustrators. I found a bunch of illustrators, but the one I loved the best was Lionel Koshlin. And he had a very, very simplistic, almost childlike style, but it was very, very stylized. Mm. And he had created this, um, this alphabet book and using a figure called Albert from the, in the alphabet book. Right. And he had, funny enough, he had, one of them was D and the D was Duke. And it was an image of, uh, uh, of a man, which, <laughs> which, which was Albert. So I took three or four different illustrators' portfolios, went to saw the band, and said, "These are the, I really like these three illustrators, but this is the this is the guy I think that would work really really well. I think he he makes Duke come alive." And they they agreed immediately. So that was great. Mm. Um, and and so after uh, so then we had to try and decide on 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 how, what the image would look like on the on the front cover. So. I, again, talking to talking to um, Lionel, um, we decided that he should be looking out of a window, which again, on a cover, if you're looking into something, you're looking into the record as far as I'm concerned, and, yeah. and you're listening to that record, and you're trying. I'm trying with that cover to tell people, listen to this record. Yes. You know, take it out, of, take it out of the sleeve because it's really worth listening to. Um, 
and then the rest of the packaging was obviously just I got Lionel poor poor Lionel to hand write every single line of the lyrics <laughs> and and put little sort of illustrations um by by them so that they indicated what they were and then on the back so again how, how amazing to have a gatefold you know yes. a gatefold album cover you, you know there's so much space there's so much you can do on you know two you know four four 12 inch squares um he we filled it with his imagery and we filled it with his lettering and then the back cover is the if you like the meta image so it's a sort of you're looking back in yeah. to the uh, yeah. back into the room so you look so you turn it over and you're looking back into the record it does work really nicely. It's, I think it's yeah. a, I remember my brother having that album. I wasn't a fan of Genesis, but I remember thinking it was a beautiful album. I was really interested in art and design, even as a as a child. And that was a sleeve that really sort of spoke to me visually. Well, get, but move, moving on with Genesis, you were um, yeah. you were given a lot of free reign with them, weren't you? Because looking at the um, the sleeve for Abacab that came along later on, I believe there's an interesting story around the the Genesis, no pun intended, of of those ideas. With Abacab, um, that was the second sleeve I worked with, uh, with with them. Obviously, the first sleeve had gone very well. Duke did amazingly well. Charisma were happy. The management were happy. The band were happy. So they said, the next one, you know, we'd love you to do it. Great, I'm I'm there. Come down and we'll we'll sh we'll play you a few tracks, etc. And you can see if there's, um, you know, you can see what what comes from it. So of course, I went down. I met them. And of course, being the lazy sort of person I am, I thought, well, the first time it worked okay, getting a load of illustration, illustrators' portfolios and, and taking them to them and they found something, uh, I'll do the same again. So I trawled around and I found a few different illustrators, pushed it a little bit further so that, it, it you know, I wanted it to be completely different to Duke, obviously. Yeah. Um, so found some different illustrators, took them all down there, we spent, they spent half an hour or so going through portfolios. No, don't like anything here. We don't like this. Sorry. Go back and start again. Oh, I was scratching my head thinking, well, I don't know what, because they've got, they've given me nothing. They've basically given me nothing um, to work with. I've got no, I've got no um, titles. I've got nothing. But um, I, while I was there, I, I sort of left my little sketchbook. I laughingly call a sketchbook. It was full of bits of, you know, rubbish and scribbles and God knows what else and various notes. But on one of the pages, um, Mike turned it turned it over and again said, this is it. And I went, what's it? And he said, this is the cover. And he showed it to the other two guys. Um, and what it was, was Pantone, the, there's a Pantone swatch books, which for anybody who doesn't know, is obviously swatches of different colors by Pantone Incorporated. And they're tiny little, I suppose, at the most, an inch square uh, of all the various different colours that you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and I just torn a few of them up, stuck them all down on together um, on the page and um, then put some black scribbles around it. They said, that's the cover. And I said, what do you mean that's the cover? It's an inch square piece of, piece of art. Well, make it an album cover. 
So I, I, I first of all had to, and I and I said, okay, and I and I said, but what's it going to be called? And and again, Phil or uh, Tony said, well, there's a chord sequence in one of the one of one of the tracks, which is A B A C C A B. So I said, oh, Abacab. And they said, yeah. So I said, all right, well, I'll try and work it around that. And so I, I came up with a full 12-inch square um, layout with, you know, with with the Pantone, obviously bigger swatches of Pantone all torn together. Mm-hmm. Um, scribbled over those and then hand wrote Genesis and then Abacab. <laughs> and I said, and I, and I had to present that to not only to uh, the band who loved it and thought it was absolutely brilliant, but then to uh, Tony Smith, their manager, who was sort of old school manager who looked at it, looked at me, and I th- I, I'm not sure whether he actually <laughs> laughed out loud, but he said, "This is what you, this is what you're suggesting for a for an album cover." I said, "Yes, th- they want it, they love it." Um, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, and now then I had to take it to Charisma records who were an old school type record company and persuade them not only to do that but also i said why don't we why don't we do four different color versions for the initial release because you know that the fans will love that and people will be able to sort of say oh i've got this color version i've got that Mm. color version again for how i don't know but the record company said yeah that's a great idea we'll do the first hundred two hundred thousand um uh, in four different colorways and we'll do we'll do also do it on beautiful white card and you can emboss it if you want so i was given completely free reign um <laughs> to do exactly what i wanted to do and then um not only that but they paid me a reasonable amount of money the the <laughs> rec- the, the the band paid me at that time so that because the, they wanted to own you know they wanted to own the sort of the imagery yeah. But what they did do, apart from paying me quite a lot of money, which again I think annoyed Tony Tony Smith when I gave him the the, the price I wanted, but they also they also let me keep the copyright in my design, which qu- quite rightly they should. But yeah. you know, it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't sort of the norm for for bands to you know hand over copyrights you know for 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 their own imagery because obviously there was merchandising deals and all sorts of things that they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it was the simplest and probably the most uh, the most expensive, you know, inch for inch bit of artwork that um, that I've I've, uh, I've ever produced. So moving on from Genesis, you, which, which was a, a, a beautifully simple solution for a record cover, you then did, not long after that, the golden age of wireless for Thomas Dolby, which is the complete opposite of simplicity, isn't it? There's an, it's a very layered and uh, detailed, um, there's a lot of theory behind the design for that. Could you talk a little bit about how that came together? My friend and... Um fellow traveler Andrew Douglas the, the photographer who I'd worked with um, a, a lot already by then he, he worked with me obviously on Toya um, with uh, he did um, setting suns for the jam 
um, and we'd worked a lot together already on that. He was very good friends with uh, with Tom Dolby, right? And um, th the thing about Andrew is he's not just a photographer; he's an incredibly creative mind, um, a, a brilliant photographer, uh, ha happy to come up with any sort of different idea and any sort of different way of looking at that idea. And I think he and Tom uh, hit it off really well. Tom um, was the the sort of, the not quite the nutty professor look, but definitely wanted to, um, wa wanted to come across as a sort of a scientific um, yeah. fellow of music. Um, and he was he was heavily into all of the sort of technical side of things the the the, the way the music was put together and the machinery um and also was was really happy to 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 come across as a sort of bit quirky um slightly nerdy but uh, and again in the book he, he he nicely wrote a little piece for for uh, for about the sleeves in in, in the book he says he um, he he wasn't he wasn't handsome enough to um, you know to to be that the, the handsome pop star. So he wanted to be the um, the slightly quirky um, nutty professor type of um, pop mm. star, and he thought that was the that was the best way to um, to to sell to, to sell himself. So we the the idea behind the um, the, the sleeve was they <laughs> that um, that uh, that Thomas was already um, like an aging scientist who was in some sort of some sort of home and was pushed around um, by his carer in, in, in a wheelchair and was um, in an exhibition in a museum or an, or an art gallery. And on the wall was an old um, magazine cover. And again, we, 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 we the old magazine covers you know, of um, wireless collector and those sort of things. Yeah. We based it, we based that on, and I got um, an illustrator called um, Mark Thomas to to create a new a new sort of cover, but using Thomas's face mm. um, and, you know, some various bits of sort of, you know, scientific equipment um, to create the cover. So that cover was on the wall of a gallery that uh, that uh, Thomas was being pushed around in and looking at. So he was he was looking at his own self as an exhibit, um, and again, but quite complicated. And you have to look at the sort of reflections and and all that yeah. sort of thing to get a bit more of the story. So quite a complicated, quite a complicated um, image. But it's, it is a lovely contrast, isn't it? Because as you were saying previously, like with the Genesis cover, that was just a case of going, oh yeah, I like that little scribble in a sketchbook to go to something as, as grandiose as, you know, a full concept behind an image. Thomas is very conceptual. I mean, the, the you know, the, we, we, it, we was always slightly theatrical. Some of the other shots we did, you know, um, for Europa, you know, it, it was, he, that was all staged.
Andrew came up with the idea as, as part of a sort of stage show, this, this scientific um, experiments. Um, and then we did another shot where um, Thomas is in the landscape, but he's, he's not standing in the landscape, he's sort of running across the landscape. So <laughs> yes. it's, just to give, it's just to give hints of, hints of an idea and, and always, always, always the intention, as far as I'm concerned, with an album sleeve or a record sleeve of any sort, is I want to intrigue. I want to, I want to get the person who's flicking through the, the record racks to pick it up and be intrigued by it and be intrigued enough to think, I wonder what this sounds like on the inside. Mm. Um, and, and, and I've always tried to do that with with every sleeve I've ever, we've ever, I've ever tried to design or art direct. Sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but the intention's always there to try and, to try and make it something that people will want to pick up and look at. The, the sleeve for Europa and the Pirate Twins that you just mentioned, was that in a theatre or something? Did you hire a theatre for that shot? That, that was on, that, exactly, that was in a, that, we hired a theatre to do, to do that setup, and to, <laughs> and, between Andrew and and Thomas, all of those things came from those two guys. <laughs> so they all had all these things lying around. I mean, whenever I did a shot with, with Andrew, if I went to his studio, there would always be loads of different bits of pieces hanging around or you know, things that he'd collected. So it just led you into doing these sort of strange and um, odd, odd sort of setups. And then, of course, he was working with, as I said, as I said before, with with different sort of film materials yeah. and different cameras. He sometimes he wouldn't even put the, the you know the lens, screw the lens in completely into the camera body, because it might give you sort of a slightly different sort of focusing mm. um, a, a arrangement. And he loved the experimentation, as I did. You yeah, know, it's we like were very lucky. You know, lucky to be able to work in um, a, 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 an area where experimentation was part and parcel of what you did. I want to break free. Queen were very much the the band that had you know created their own their own world their own set of fans. Mm. They were huge, million-selling, you know, um, a million-selling band that my job was to help them put everything together um, and, and and create a sleeve and some singles that um, would, you know, would, would, would sell the record, would sell the works. Um, I came up with quite a few different ideas for the cover itself. Once, once they'd... Um, once they'd seen my portfolio um, and they they gave me the once over as well, believe it or not. They said, oh, can you meet the band in, in, a, in, a, in a, they're in a pub. I think it was, uh, they, they, they were based around um, Notting Hill. Mm. So I went to, to a pub and I met with Freddie um, and his friends and all that sort of thing. And um, with, with, one of the, uh, with one of the manager's assistants, um, we went and had a couple of drinks and I talked to them and talked to Freddie and, you know, I enjoyed his company and, and I think he enjoyed my company. So I think I passed that test. So they were happy for me to um, 
to 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 work on the album sleeve and 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 a couple of the single bags for for that particular album. It was a one-off job in a way, and I did that. I did the works and a couple of the singles that went with it, and that was the end of it basically. So it was a very very sort of quick in and out sort of job for me. Um, but you know, it was great to work with a band as big as Queen. The photo that they that they sent me, which obviously they they did a, a studio portraiture portrait session with George Harrell, who was um, old old school um, MGM um, studio photographer, who had done so many great um, uh, artists and and um, actors and actresses from the sort of 1940s right the way through mm. um, into the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, he sent a beautiful sort of 20 by 24 um, black and white photograph that had all been hand retouched. And wow. um, again, working with something, you know, something material, something physical, mm. uh, rather than, you know, doing something on Photoshop, you know, that again, during the sort of, 70s 80s people were still creating black and white photographs that had to be hand retouched no photoshop nothing like that people actually working with tiny little brushes and with scalpels scraping away spots and blemishes and and taking away lines and that sort of thing so he sent me this beautiful 20 by 24 print which had all been hand retouched i had to then get that scanned um, and then um, a simple, a very, very simple layout. The only, the, I got my way with the back cover, which was um, where the works came in, because obviously it's a set of cogs. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a photograph taken by uh, a Russian constructivist um, artist called Rodchenko. Right. Um, and... Um, Again, I liked the I liked the sort of the works, the Russian influence um, to it, and I thought it's sort of it was quite a nice contrast. I th because although I really really liked that front cover picture, it did it sort of felt a little bit like they're all sitting around a campfire, and I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't quite get it out of my head. And I thought I must put something sort of strong strong in here to sort of contrast the um, the slightly sort of. The, the photograph itself of the front cover. So I got I got my way on that. And then for the singles, I think for Radio Gaga, it might have been for Radio Gaga, um, I suggested doing individual set, uh, seven inch single bags so that each each member of the band had their own single bag. Um, oh yeah, that was I Want to Break Free, wasn't it? That was I Want to Break yes, Free, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so again, they liked that idea because Although they were all, they were all obviously members of Queen. They were also consider them all consider themselves to be individual artists. So it sort of, it seemed to fulfil a need for them to to be seen as individuals as well as the band. <laughs> Moving on to to an artist that you you again formed a, a more uh, lasting creative relationship with, but equally as iconic as Queen, Kate Bush. She's in the trees. It's coming. We started off with, with with Hounds of Love as the first album that I, I, I album cover that I did for her, 
Um, and we then went on to do um, uh, This Woman's Work, which was a sort of a best of uh, compilation, uh, as well as... And all of those singles as well, obviously. And all of the singles, yeah. yeah. For, for I mean, Hounds of Love was an incredible album. Not only amazing singles on, on, on side A, but the whole of side B being almost a concept. You know, very, very clever for a... Yeah, I, I can't you really use the word pop or rock artist because she isn't that. She's, she, mm. she is. You know, she there are, transcends that. Doesn't yeah, she? exactly. She exactly, and she does that with not just with the music, but also with the, with the images as well. Mm. You know, there's there's elements of dance, there's elements of um, of theatricality. You know, the fact that she's laying there with her two dogs is <laughs> is such a such a sort of strong image. Um, that you know you can't you can't fail to be be again you can't fail to want to hear what's on that what's on that record mm. yeah. and and so from the you know from the from almost from the sort of the polarization of Genesis really um, I don't know Abacab that's the call sequence we don't know what we want on it <laughs> um, on one hand to the other hand Kate saying. Uh, my brother's taken this picture. This is what I want on the cover. Can we come up with some? Can you come up with some layouts and some ideas and what we can do on an inner bag and all that sort of thing? It is quite a contrast, but you have to be able to. I think you have to be able to work on both sides. And you know, I became a little bit of sort of the liaison um, between Kate and the record company, which I do, which I have done for most of the bands or a lot of the bands that I've worked with. You become the sort of their mouthpiece, if you like, you know, with with the record label um, in terms of how they want to be seen. So again, it's a it's a, it's 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 a privileged position, and you know, I don't take it too lightly. And I try and I've always tried to work, you know, as hard as possible to to, to make it work for everybody, so that you know the the, the record company seem happy and the the, the band are happy. Speaking of contrasts. It feels like this whole conversation's been about contrast. Yes. <laughs> but going from Kate Bush to Zig Zig Sputnik. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> In the book, I sort of. I wrote most of the stories, and most of them, and most of them are my stories. But I, again, with the collaborators, um, including both photographers, illustrators, stroke painters, and some of the bands themselves, I, I wanted to get their bits of the story as well. I love and, that. I think that that that's really nice thing about the book, actually, that you are getting this sort of 360 degrees of of the story, and it's not just, you know, it's not just your perspective. I quite like that it's a sort of client and um you know designer and client perspective it makes it yeah, really interesting well, I, I consider myself to be an art director i suppose and an art director's job as far as i'm concerned is to is to take is to take the theme and then you know talking and work and, and collaborating with photographers illustrators the bands themselves models you know, with that within that collaboration, you come up with something that hopefully works for everybody. Mm. So, 
it was very important for me in the book. You know, the, it is the history of, of me, it's a history of Bill Smith's studio, but it's also a history of the record cover. And the mm. record cover comes about with various different people's involvement. And so, you know, it was nice. I said to Tony, you can probably, you know, Zig Zig Sputnik was your idea, was your, was your project. Do you want to tell, do you want to tell the story? So I let him tell the story. Of course, he sees it on a slightly different way than I did in terms <laughs> of um, who did what and how, how things came about. But again, that is, that is the record industry. That's his, you know, it's, it, it was very much, um, they, they wanted to take the record industry by storm. They certainly wanted to take EMI by storm. And every meeting I had with them, Everybody in the whole building knew that Zig Zig Sputnik and or Tony was in, Tony James was in, um, or Martin Degville and Tony were in, because th they were like a whirlwind. They were like, you know, their whole they were funny enough, they were sort of more punk than a lot of punk. Yeah. But they that they did it in such a clever way that um, you know, they were they were they were anarchists. They were it, definitely anarchists. And, it was um, very it was very subversive what they were doing, but also very playful. I thought it was. Uh, I was never sure whether they actually took themselves seriously. It felt like there was a lot of uh, consideration that went into everything, but it also almost felt a bit tongue in cheek. And that's what I like about that design as well, where it's you know literally Zig Zig Sputnik as a, a killer robot taking over the world and. Yeah, well, Tony was very, very serious about it. Very, very serious about it. Before they even, you know, before they even sort of, you know, came to prominence, they'd been they'd been working on it for quite some time. Mm. It had taken, you know, I mean, Tony, as you know, was originally in Generation X. Yes. And I think he'd seen the the way that Billy had um, sort of taken Generation X as a sort of a stepping stone. You know, to, to his own career, mm. and sort of left everybody behind. Tony didn't want that to happen, of course, with his project. So mm. I think he he wanted to have control over everything. But of course, you can only have so much control be, before the big corporations want to have their bit of control as well. Round like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending. Alison was was um, a, a really really good artist to, to work with. She she had she was open, and that's that's very important. She was open to ideas. She was open to different photographers. She was open to me coming up with you know with with the with the direction that I think the sleeve should take and I think the photography should take. So I was lucky to work with her um, on, on a couple of uh, on a couple of sleeves, both um, both of which were very very different in their own in their own ways. Uh, I did a couple of uh, shoots with her as well, uh, video shoots with her as well, and came up with the scripts and and directed the videos. And um, she's got a, such such an incredible voice that it's you know that. It's quite easy, in a way, to to visualise to visualise that, and to also try and create um, 
try and create a sort of sessions and photos that, again, um, give you a different aspect of uh, of Alison from what I think people had had seen before with regard to Yazoo and um, the previous the previous solo albums that she'd done. So I, I, I wanted to try and get um, the, for the first for the first album I did. Uh, try and get a sort of a solo feel to it and then the second album which was for voice was very much based on the sort of uh, blue note um, yes. jazz jazz club type photography we took the um the the inspiration for um a tv ad and for the uh, and for the video um from the the sequ opening sequence to thomas crown affair using right. the sort of block um, block images across the the screen in different frames, and then also we shot it in a as if she was shooting it live, as if she was playing live at the piano um, in a club. So mm. shot in black and white, and I used a guy called David Scheinman, who was a brilliant photographer, brilliant lensman, um, and you know we we created that whole sort of jazz club scene, which again worked so well for. Mm the tracks that she was singing and also for her as her voice. It does, it complements that, that particular style of music that she was doing at that time. Because exactly. I think as yeah. an artist, she, she's she's very much about reinventing herself, isn't she? Whoever she works with, it's a very different sound and a different visual that seems to go with that. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. So, I, was, I was lucky, I was lucky to, to work with her on those two albums, definitely. So looking back at, I mean, I'm just going through the list from from um, from the magazine when I originally did like a list of all of the sleeves you've done, and also looking at the book now, we've probably covered about two percent of the artists that you've worked with. You know, we we haven't talked about Gary Barlow or UB40 or Kirsty McCall or Climby Fisher, Killing Joke, Five Star, even Heaven Seventeen, <laughs> The Associates. You know, there's tons and tons of them, and I'd um, I'd highly recommend the book to anybody who's interested in in your work, but also as you mentioned earlier, anyone who's interested in record sleeve design generally, because I like the bit at the end where you sort of talk about you know, other record sleeve designers and the way you also um, highlight all of the people that you've worked with, like, you know, Paul Cox and Andy L and the Douglas Brothers, so many different people. So I think... Well, I um, those sleeves wouldn't be what they are without... Yes, they're my ideas. Yes, they're, you know, uh, if you like, you know, they're, they're, they're my creations, but I could only create them with other people. And those, as I said before... Collaboration is 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 a really important part of who I am and how I've how I've uh, be, how I've been as an art director, and so it's very important for me to that people are properly credited. Yeah. So how can people get this book? The book will be published on the twenty seventh of May this year. It's published um, on Red Planet Books, but it will be available through Amazon, Waterstones. Google Books, any of those things, uh, and obviously directly from Red Planet Books themselves. Right. Um, it's a hardback, 12-inch um, square, so it should sit nicely um, on the shelf alongside the rest of your albums, the rest of your 12-inch vinyl albums. <laughs> um, hopefully next to a couple at least of the albums that you might be still <laughs> listening to. Um, and you can pick it up and you can look at the cover and you can read about the story while you're listening to the music, which is 
pretty much how it started off for me was basically going into a sound, but into a little booth in a record store um, in, you know, when I was 15 or 16, listening to the music and thinking, that's what I want to do. Thanks so much for your time, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you about this and going back 40 something years as well. It's been lovely. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers.